Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Whenever I was young, I, I did a lot of odd jobs like mowing, did a little bit of cowboying. I wasn't very good whenever I was a teenager. Uh, and But the main source of income that I had was snake hunting. And um, we would, you know, down there in West Texas, uh, everybody knows what a mesa is. Mesa is table in Spanish. And um, anyway, there, we would go up on these mesas in the wintertime, and we'd take us a, a little mirror, and we'd, we'd use the, the mirror to shine the sun back up under these rocks, and we'd find these dens of rattlesnakes. And then we'd take gas, and we'd pump them up uh, a sprayer with gas in it, and uh, spray gas up in there, and, and it would burn the snake's lungs, and the snakes would come out, and we had like these little three- and four-foot catchers, and most people say a three- or four-foot catcher, why not a 12-foot catcher, right? Uh, but anyway, we'd have like these little three- or four-foot catchers that we'd reach down and grab them with tongs and put them in a trash can and put the lid on. And most of the time, they were so high from the gas, they, they didn't do anything. And um, I, I'll never forget, I bought my first pickup with a one-third share of one den of rattlesnakes uh, southwest of Big Lake, Texas, near Irene. And uh, we, me and my dad were standing on about an 18-inch rock outcropping. Now, if you fell off, you wasn't going to you know, plummet to your death or anything. But, you know, it was kind of steep going down. You could walk down it. It really wasn't climbing. But those little rubber-made trash cans that you, like, buy at Walmart, it's got the handles and the snap-on lid, we filled three of those up with rattlesnakes. And my brother and my best friend, their job... Mine and my dad were catching them, putting them in the, the deal, and then they would put the lid on and take it down to the truck and unload the snakes from the trash can into the big deal in the back of the truck, then bring us a trash can again. And while they were gone, it is an eerie feeling standing on an 18-inch piece of rock face-to-face -face with your dad while he says, just look at me while there's rattlesnakes crawling all over your boots and around and everything. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird feeling. So he would just talk to me, and you'd try to smile and act like it's no big deal, you know. There's nothing wrong with peeing on yourself when that happens, okay. I'm just saying, there's no, there's no shame whatsoever, okay. And so there was another time I was on the Rocker B. This is before we went and worked on it. And uh, a lot of times what we would do is, is one of us would walk the rim rock and look for snakes, and one would drive the pickup because you had the gas in there and the, all of this stuff. You didn't want to be carrying that while you're looking for snakes. And I'm walking along, and Dad's at the bottom of this mountain driving along uh, just a low, old ranch two-track road. And um, anyway, I've got my snake catcher, and I've got a tow sack with me. And I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, stretched right out there across the little, I don't even say it's trail, it was just at the bottom of these rocks, was the largest rattlesnake I ever caught. Now, not the longest, largest one I ever seen or shot or killed, but catching with a catcher snake hunt, it was the largest one I ever, his head was about as big as my fist. And so, you know, I, I'm not scared of them, but at the same time, I've got a really, really healthy respect. And uh, believe it or not, the shorter the catcher, the easier it is to control them. Because you get a big, you know, 10 or 12 pound snake on the end of a snake catcher that's going like this, it'll really throw you around. So I reach out and I grab this snake right behind the, the head like you're supposed to do, and I kind of pull my sack off my shoulder. And this snake don't even hardly rattle. It just, and it lays its head on the catcher, you know, poles running up, 
to where my little trigger is that I'm holding it with a clamp, and it looks me right in the eye and starts coming up that catcher. Not fast, just, and I, so I start squeezing harder, right? I'm like, ah, ugh. and it's still coming. So I grab it with both hands, and I'm squeezing as hard as I can, and that snake is coming up that snake catcher. Well, now i got two, two decisions, right? Pee or poop? No, not really. That's not the two decisions I was talking about. That's not the two decisions I was talking about. You never heard you say peed twice in a sermon. First time I ever heard panties in a, in a, in a talk, too. I don't know, Ohio panties, is that how you said that? <laughs> that's all I heard. So, anyway, sorry. Anyway, that's not part of the sermon. And so I've got to decide if I'm going to get rid of this snake, right, or put it in a, put it in a toe sack, right? So I, so I make the, the decision to try to get him in the toe sack, and I have to rearrange a few things, and finally I, I get him in there. Well, we got these walkie-talkies, right? So I go down to, I call down to Dad, burger one nine, you know, Father, come in. And uh, he's like, yeah, I said, I caught a big one, but I don't know where the den is. He said, well, go ahead and bring that snake down to the truck, and I'll go up and look for the den. I said, okay. So I go down to the truck, and he's like, man, that's a big snake. And it was, it was you know, probably five and a half feet, something like that, about 12 pounds. That's a big snake. And so anyway, Dad goes up, and he's looking around, and, and he gets to like this Right next to this was a pipeline right away that went up the side of this mountain where they had dug out and laid a pipeline, and all the rocks had been piled to one side all along this pipeline right away. Well, he finds the den in this pile of rocks. You know, he's shining, he radios down, you know, uh, you know come in, little bear, or whatever. You got. I don't know, he didn't say that. But anyway, he's like, bring everything, I found the den. I was like, all right. He goes, but there's no sense in lugging it all the way up here. Just drive. Now, we didn't have four-wheel drive trucks or anything. This is an extended cab Ford pickup. Doesn't even have, you know, it's carburetor, right? That's to tell you how long ago this was. And so he says, just drive up here. Because, I mean, it, it's been clear to brush, and it's, it's pretty steep, but, I mean, it's not, like, too steep. And so I was like, okay, now I'm, like, 13 years old, right? So, so I've been driving for, like, 10 years. But, anyway, still, you know, I'm, I'm not that experienced. So I put it in drive, or I back up, you know, because get up this pipeline right away. And um, anyway, I start driving up this thing. Well, at the bottom, it was kind of easy, but the closer you got to him, it got steeper. And I'm driving up this thing, and it's bouncing, and I got, you know, 100 snakes in the back in a box, and I'm, you know, things, your, your mind starts playing tricks on you, right? Well, I'm driving up there, and then all of a sudden, the truck dies, and we start rolling backwards. And we start rolling backwards fast. Now, I have no brakes anymore. And I was only 13. You know, a lot of people are like, well, why didn't you slam it into Parker? Why didn't you put the emergency brake? Man, when you're 13 years old and you got a pickup full of snakes and you're barreling down backwards, you don't think about that stuff, right? And so I'm, I'm going down backwards, and I look back, and at the bottom of this pipeline right away is a caliche pit. Now, a lot of people here don't know what a caliche pit is, but a caliche is used like as a road base in Texas. Every road is made out of caliche in West Texas. And, and they're literally just like these big pits, like 20 foot deep, and they can be big, big. At the bottom where I'm headed is a caliche fit with, pit with about 20 foot drop off that I'm headed towards, and I'm just going down. So what do I do? I got two choices to make. No, not those two choices. Ride it out or jump out. So I opened up the door. And I looked down at that ground, and I realized that I'm going backwards, and the door's going backwards, and those front wheels are going backwards. And... I decided to ride it out, okay? 
but I was sorely tempted to abandon ship and to jump out. I figured that only two things would have happened. I was either going to crash into the caliche pit and die, or I was going to have a good story, or maybe a good sermon. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 5, 6, and 7, uh, we're talking about cowboy temptations. Last week we talked about when the devil, Jesus has gone out and, and he's, he's, he's been baptized. God has descended in the form, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. A loud, a loud voice came across and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Then the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness where he has fasted for 40 days. And when he is powerful, hungry, and just, you know, weak after 40 days with no food, then that's when the devil comes and starts tempting Jesus. And the first thing, we talked about this last week, the first thing that the devil does is tell Jesus, man, I know you're hungry, but there's some rocks right here. Turn those rocks into bread and get you something to eat if you're the Son of God. Jesus says, man doesn't live by bread alone. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm not going to take this upon myself to provide for me. God is going to provide for me no matter how hard it gets. I'm not going to do this alone. And we talked about that last week, about a cowboy's independent spirit. I can do this by myself. I don't need nobody else. No, see, Jesus himself said, man does not live by bread alone. We're not supposed to be alone. We, we can have help in doing all of this stuff. Go back and listen. You can do it on the app, on the podcast, on the app. Remember, I said get the app. So, anyway, this week, we're going to talk about the second temptation of Jesus. So, after Jesus tells the devil, no, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then it says in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now you have to understand what's fixing to happen here. The devil's fixing to quote scripture. He says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not shake or strike your foot against a stone. The devil's saying, God said this, is it true? Jesus' answer said, it is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Cowboy temptations, there, there, there's three things that are going on right here. Okay, The, the very first thing it, it, that goes on here is something that just, it, it struck me something, something fierce. Okay, is when we give in to temptation. You notice that it says the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now, the devil didn't try to push him off, did he? But he took him to the highest point and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And that's what we do when we give in to temptation. The devil don't push us. We choose to go from a high place to a low place. There was a time I was talking to somebody, and they was pretty upset with me, and, and, and they were sitting there talking, and, and I was sitting there praying because I, I, wanted, I wanted to, uh, uh, you know, throat punch them, you know. And I know I'm the only one that's ever wanted to throat punch somebody or just, you know, choke them out, you know. I mean, that's really not hurting them that bad. But anyway, I wanted to choke them out, but that, uh, God was just telling me, like, hey, man, just, just be quiet and listen to them. So they were sitting there talking, and, rah, 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 and I was like, and you know that lump that you get in your throat when you try not to cry? Well, I was getting that, but I didn't want to cry. I wanted to tell them that, that I, I wanted to argue with them is basically what I wanted to do. And it was physically painful because I wanted to say something so bad. But God just kept telling me, hey, man, just listen, just listen, just listen, just listen. 
And I don't know what you're going through, but we've all been tempted by something to do something that we know we should not do, and it can be physically painful. I know that whenever I quit uh, uh, dipping Copenhagen, man, I loved Copenhagen. It was the first thing I thought about in the morning, the last thing I thought about at night, and uh, it, it basically ruled my world. But when I quit, I remember the physical pain that it sometimes, especially in the early days when I first quit, that I, need, I felt I needed that, that something was going to break inside of me if I didn't get that. Now, I've never been an alcoholic, but I can, I, 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 I've heard from alcoholics that they have that same type of, of, of pain when they try not to drink. But here's the deal. We always think that when we give in to that temptation, that it's going to make us feel better, that it's the temptation that is causing the pain, but that's not true. Because see, that feeling that you have in your throat or in your mouth or in your stomach or in your brain or wherever you have it, you know what that buildup is? It's not pain. It's strength building up. And when we give in to temptation, that feeling of letting go is actually us jumping from a high place to a low place. See, God takes us to, to, a, to a high place, and, and, and he's with us in that journey, but the devil meets us up there on that, on that high place and says, why don't you jump down? That's what temptation is. It's the devil daring you to jump down. Why in the world would we do that? And, and, and there's like a pain inside of us that if we, if we don't give in to that temptation, that, that, that somehow it's going to hurt us, but it's not. That is strength building up because when you finally decide, you know what? no, I'm not going to do that, then eventually that feeling goes away. Not forever, but that feeling will go away and you're that much stronger, you're that much higher. But I see, I've seen it in my own life and I've even seen it in your lives and maybe I don't know the details, but I can see the look in your eye that God is leading you to do something and, and every day you are tempted to, to say something or do something or be something or, or some action that you know is not right and you get this feeling that if you don't do that, even though it's wrong, that, that you're not going to be able to stand it. That is not temptation building up. That is strength building up. Don't give that away. Don't let that devil tell you, if you're a son of God, throw yourself off of here. Why would we do that? Why would we work so hard to get somewhere just to jump down? He can't push you. You have to choose it. And that is one of the most powerful things that we have, is we have a choice. God will not let the devil take control of you, but that devil can whisper in your ear. Be who God made you to be. Don't give in to that temptation. Don't jump off that high place that you have worked so hard to get to. I don't even care if you're three steps up the ladder. Don't give up, because if you jump off, you're going to have to take those three steps again. Don't give up your position. The second thing in this verse, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord to the God to the test. See, what temptation does, what the devil uses in temptation, is to make you doubt who you are. And here's the question, do you know who you are? Because I, 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 can, I can give you the biblical definition of who you are, but just me telling you that, you may not understand it, you've got to believe it. And the devil's going to make you doubt this. Let's talk about who you are. In Galatians 3.26, Paul says, 
For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all sons of God through Christ Jesus. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you have faith in Jesus and what he did for you? If you have faith in Jesus, you are a son of God. Why would you take yourself from that position, being a son of God, and lower yourself to somebody that grovels, to somebody that falls? Don't do it. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. If you are a peacemaker. Now, what is a peacemaker? Are you willing to stand up for what is right? Because doing things wrong way is easy. Doing things right is hard. That's how you know. Do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in, in Jesus Christ? Makes you a son of God. Are you willing to be a peacemaker? To stand up for what's right? We've all got that picture of the, of the, you know, the lawman doing a showdown with the devil in, in, at high noon. Are you that type of person that will stand up for what's right? Or are you the one hiding, hiding behind the barber chair? See, God wants you to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Peacemakers meet hard things head on in the street. Peacekeepers, uh, peace they hide until the shooting's done. Who are you? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Who are you? See, the devil will tempt you and try to put doubt in your mind of who you are. It's what he did to Jesus. He said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Who are you? Who do you believe you are? Because here's the thing. You know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't know who you are, and you don't know how much you love God, the amount of love that you have for God is, is, is the limit, let's say it's on a scale of 1 to 10. If you only love God a level 3, you're only going to be able to love yourself at a level 3. And if you only love yourself at a level 3, you're only going to be able to love others at a level 3. But if you know that you're a son or daughter of God, you can go up to a 10. Then you can love yourself to a 10. And then you can start loving others to a 10. You are a 10. You are meant to be a 10. But what the devil does is he tries to knock that down from a 10 to a 1. Why don't you take this from your high place and jump down? That's what temptation does every single time. wants to take us from a place of power, of where we belong with God, and put us down. Who do you follow in this world? See, in Romans 8.14, Paul says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? I just bit my tongue. That hurt. Ow. You have to put a tongue in a sling. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? Well, I, you know, there's a lot of things we can say, oh yeah, I'm being led by the Spirit. That's me. That's me. Talk is cheap. Okay? Talk is cheap. Now, I'm not judging you on this. I want you to just use this, and you answer it within yourself. How do you know if you're being led by God? Just look at what you spend and how you spend it. How do you spend your time? You're only, everybody's given 24 hours a day. What, how do you spend your time? Is it on God? How do you spend your talent? We've all, everybody's been given a talent, maybe just one. How do you spend your talent? Most people waste their talent in pursuit of financial gain, or power, or being famous, or something like that. How do you spend your talent? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your talent? 
How do you spend your treasure? This isn't a sermon on giving. I'm not talking about that. But just look at your bank account. See what you spend your hard-earned money on. Is it for good? Or is it just on yourself? Or, or what? These are all things for you to think about. Are you led by the Spirit? Or are you led by God? Giving in to temptation. Don't let that old devil take you from here. And he's just going to say, throw yourself off of here. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because you are a son or a daughter of God. You are already here. Jesus took you from here to here. And the devil tries to take you from here to here. Where are you going to be? The choice is yours. And the third thing that we can learn from this passage is the temptation of presumption. The temptation of presumption. And this is probably one of his slyest ways of getting you to, uh, to doubt who you are and to take you from here to here. The best illustration I have is the good old American dream. You know what the American dream tells you? That if you work hard, if you work hard enough, if you strive for something hard enough, and if you never get of it, give up, that you can be successful, and that is crap. I know so many people that have worked hard their entire lives that don't have a pot to pee in. Just because you work hard your whole life does not mean that you will be successful by any means. As a matter of fact, there's a 99% chance that you are going to go out there and you are going to work your butt off every single day so that you can live the American dream, so that you can be quote-unquote successful and everything you work so hard for, nothing is going to bring you peace and joy. Only God can do that. The temptation of presumption, of, of assuming, presuming that if you work hard, that you are owed something. How about this? Well, if you're a Christian, then God owes you. Doesn't the Bible say that anything you ask in my name, I will give it to you. So shouldn't you just be able to ask for anything and God's going to give it? No, it doesn't work like that. Then who? Then do we have it wrong? Is the Bible wrong? Is God going against his, his promises? Think about these presumptuous statements that I have been guilty of making in my life, and maybe you have too, or somebody has said them to you. How about this? That, that just because you're a Christian, God will always answer your prayers the way you want them. No, God actually doesn't answer most of my prayers. Actually, He does answer most of my prayers. Most of the time, they're stupid ideas, and He says no. God is never going to answer a prayer that He knows is going to take you away from Him. Well, He'll answer all your prayers. Sometimes He's going to say no. How about this? Being a Christian is going to make you happy. <laughs> That's crud. It's hard. That's why I love the cowboy life is because it's such a great illustration you go out there and work on that ranch with us. Everybody says they want to be a cowboy until it's time to do cowboy things. Like feed in a blizzard, chop ice every day. Oh, you know, all that glamorous stuff, right? All that roping and stuff, man, that happens like 1% of the time. The rest of the time we're fixing stuff, checking on stuff, doctoring stuff. And 99% of the time we're uncomfortable doing it. Cowboy is glamorous. But it's the thing that fulfills us the most. It's why we do it. Like Knight Rider's Lament, why do they do for short pay? <laughs> we don't make any money doing it. We're doing it because it makes us come alive. And that's what Christianity is. God is not concerned with your happiness. He's concerned with your holiness. Because in that being Christ-like is what will fulfill you. By giving everything to God and following Him, that's what's going to fulfill you. But isn't God supposed to answer all your prayers? Isn't He supposed to make you happy? I mean, some of them preachers on TV, man, they'll tell you, man, just come to God and you'll get the better job and you get... I'm not saying you won't ever get a better job, but just because you become a Christian doesn't mean you, know, you automatically get a sticker on that you, know, you get promoted right away. 
Sometimes you get fired. But isn't God supposed to help you through your struggles? Fix all your struggles? Make all your problems go away? No, actually, they get more. I'm just telling you. But you get stronger. Like that old saying said, you know, a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not where it was meant to be. It's meant to be out in the open sea. We're all comfortable in our recliners, but that will never fulfill us. God is not going to make your struggles go away. He'll make you stronger through them. What about uh, if you're a Christian, then, then your kids are just automatically perfect. Huh. I mean, I love my kids, but they ain't perfect. And, and, and preacher's kids, you know, don't automatically get some supernatural gift where they don't make mistakes, mainly because their dad makes plenty of mistakes. Well, don't you get a promotion whenever you come to Christ? Isn't he supposed to? Abundance, 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 abundance. So I think we do live the abundant life, but you can't measure it in a bank or in a position. You measure it by how much you love God, how much you love yourself, how much everything float, that love of God flows through you to others. That's how you'll measure it. Well, and then sometimes people say, well, God is tempting me. God doesn't tempt you. I don't even think he tests you. And I know the Bible says, and I get in trouble for this every time because people say, well, it does say, the Bible does say that God will test you. And, and I get that, but I think that that's just the fallacy of our understanding. God is not going to test you. In a, he's going to allow you to be tested. He said, no temptation will come on you that he does not give you a way out of, a way over, a way around. He's going to be there with you through everything. He's trying to make you stronger. He's pushing you. He's not just sitting back like a little kid with us, you know, magnifying glass, seeing how much heat you can take, okay? That's not it. We don't need to be presumptuous about God that just because we have given our lives to him that he's supposed to make our lives easier or that we can take one single verse and take it out of context. And I see it happen all the time. You notice that the devil quotes scripture and so does Jesus. He says, he will, for it is written, this is the devil talking, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against, against stone. Jesus doesn't say, no, it doesn't say that. What does Jesus say? Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. In other words, Jesus not, is not denying that that's what it says. Because, see, I believe that we as Christians, we are invincible as long as we're following God. That does not mean that we can intentionally jump off a building and see if God is going to save us. That is a promise that, you, that nothing can harm you while you're following God. Okay, but if you're going to go to testing him just to see, now, now you want proof instead of faith. In other words, what we do here, Jesus is telling us that you use Scripture to explain Scripture, that you can't just take one, what the devil said, one quote, and, and use it however you want it. Yes, I do believe that God will protect us. I think he protects us all the time in things that we don't even know about, but not things that we test him with. And you think, well, I would never do that. How many times have you said, well, God, if you'll just do this, then I'll do that? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We test God. Start living your life by following him, by not giving in to temptation. Man, you are right here. That thing that you're fighting right now, that thing inside of you, that, that thing that God is talking to you about, don't just jump off. Just because the devil says, well, you know, let's see if you're real or not. Jump off. That's stupid. I'm not going to do that. I worked really hard. I want that strength that comes. And I'm not going to presume that just because God said something that suddenly I have God on a leash that just because he said something in the Bible that I can make him do it. Get over here and do what you said you would do. It don't work like that. That's presumption. I was barreling down the hill backwards. And I shut the door and I threw my old arm up. On, I can't throw it up on this, with this shoulder. I threw my old arm up and I turned around and I looked. 
And all I could see was a pipeline right away with all these stones up on the mountain, a little two-track road, a caliche pit that had the cliff of death, and one other thing. I didn't have no brakes. I didn't have the experience to do some of that other stuff. But I knew I could probably turn that truck about this far. And right before that caliche pit was about a 12-foot cedar tree. So I waited till I got right down there to it, and I jerked the wheel to the right, which made me go right up over that cedar tree and stopped me from plunging off the cliff of death. Got out. My back tires were about this far from the edge of the cliff. I know you've been feeling like that too. So out of control with this certain thing in your life that you just feel like that you're just barreling down and you can't see no end in sight except a cliff at the bottom. But don't jump out. Don't jump out. My dad was sitting there from on high watching this happen. And he said, I saw you open that door and I prayed to God that you didn't jump out because if you would have jumped out, that door would have caught you and you'd have been run over. That's what happens when you give up. And I know your life has been felt like you're just barreling downhill backwards towards a cliff. But don't give up. Don't give in to temptation. It may seem like you're going down, but you're not. The only way we can go down into the pit is if we choose to jump in there. God will always provide a way to stop that free fall. Don't forget or doubt that you are a son of God. Don't forget who you are. You're up here. Don't go down here. And don't presume that God owes you anything. All of those promises are what he will fulfill while you are following, but he offers you no proof. You can't say, well, God, if you're a real God, then do this. It, it, it's not going to happen. God's not on your leash that you can just yank and make him go wherever you want him to go. As a matter of fact, I can nearly guarantee you that it won't happen that way. I'm going to give you some duties to do. All of y'all watching online, all of y'all listening on the radio, all of you here today, I'm going to give you a couple of things to do this week. I'm not going to ask you about them next week, and probably when you walk outside this door and you go to rope or you go to watch football or you come over to clean the house or whatever you're going to do today, nobody even laughed. Lost you, lost you. I'm going to give you a couple of things to do this week, okay? Here's the first thing. Do them. I didn't come up here just to say, so that was a cool sermon. I don't remember what he said. I want you to do something this week. Two things. Number one, pay attention to how many times you are tempted to give up your strength and your position this week. I want you to pay attention to that. How many times you are tempted to give up the strength that is building up inside of you and the high position that you have been given. So this week, when you know that you want to do something and you know that ain't the right thing to do, you remember what I said today. Don't give up your strength. Don't give up your position. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, I want you to pay attention to what you're spending. How are you spending your time? How are you spending your talent? And how are you spending your treasure? How are you spending? Pay attention to what you are spending with your time, with your talent, and with your treasure. And pay attention to how many times you are tempted to give up your strength and give up your position. Now you are on the road to following God. And let's go to him in prayer. Dad, we've been backsliding for a long time now. We haven't jumped out of the truck, but we've got the door open. Close all the doors that lead us away from you and help us to grow in strength instead of constantly giving away by giving into temptation. Thank you for making us your sons and daughters and help us to have more and more faith in your love and in your goodness and in the grace that we get from you that we sure enough don't deserve. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.